On this episode of DLN Extend, we discuss, is this the end for Linux? This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean and Bitwarden. Welcome to episode 63 of DLN Extend. DLN Extend is the community-powered podcast. We take conversations from the DLN community, from places like the DLN Discourse Forum, Telegram Group, Discord Server, and more. We always like to look at topics from other shows around the network and give our takes. So I'm back, and with me is the Grand Marshal of all things in photography on the Destination Linux Network. That's Wendy. And the kingpin of pushing gaming, especially on Linux, Matt. How are you two? I've missed you so much. Feels like I've been gone forever. Welcome back. We've missed you too. It's good to be back. Yeah, what'd you throw at me? I think I called you a tech hoarder last episode. <laughs> yes, you did. And you're not wrong. Um, I am a tech hoarder. As I'm packing things up, I've discovered that I felt a little guilt and shame coming from you, Matt. I don't know if that was intentional. No, the guilt and shame was mostly because me looking at my own recording space. Ah, uh, okay. That was self-infliction that I uh, was looking at mm. as far as that. Yeah, I get it. So, Matt, what have you been up to? What exciting things are going on in the world of the mat? Of the mat. <laughs> <laughs> as long as you don't start busting out Return of the Mac, I'm okay. I'm going to be getting rid of three of my machines that I've been kicking around. They're going to be going to a better home that will find more use for that, aka one day. <laughs> oh, that would be a better home. I'd rather live in the mountains in the high desert than where you do, frankly. Yeah. <laughs> no comment. While I'm getting rid of three machines, I am also having another one show up. I see what's going on here. This is more of the portable machine that I was looking for, though. This kind of mitigates all the weird hardware that I have kicking around that has uses that I just don't really need, though. I ended up getting a Toshiba Portage, uh, or Portage, however you want to pronounce it, Z20T. It's a core M5, I believe, 8 gigs of RAM and a 256 gig SSD. Think Toshiba's version of the Surface Book is about the best way I can actually compare that to. Oh, okay. But the price, the price is a lot more sustainable as far as more people being able to afford it. Because Surface devices right now, even used ones, the market has gone absolutely crazy sauce with them. Holy cow. Oh, yeah. I was looking at Surface versions three and even twos and stuff. And they're like $300 minimum for like mm -hmm. decent condition ones. And I'm like... <laughs> That's rough. So this particular one, it has more of a Surface Book vibe than a uh, Surface Pro vibe. The base deck has another battery for it. Okay. Plus you have the battery for the tablet portion of the machine. So you have the two batteries. The weight is about a little over three pounds, so it's not horrible. But it has this weird thing. Lots of I.O. Yeah, I'm looking at it. It even has a Ethernet port. Yes, that's in the base. But the thing that I love, that's not just on the base unit, the base of the keyboard dock. It's the entire tablet. Like there's mini H. HDMI out. There's USB 3. There's, I think there's USB C if I remember correctly. There's like so many different ports on this thing. I was like, hey, this could actually work well for me. <laughs> I picked it up. It was under $200. Nice. Wow. That was one of those. I'm going to get it at this point because just looking at machines in similar areas, it's just like they're so expensive. I like the surface lines. Don't get me wrong. Wendy, I'm the one that <laughs> turned you Got on me to the started. surface lines. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> actually, I love it. So thank you. I can't <laughs> justify the current online prices for used Surface Pro, Surface Book type devices for the most part, because it's just too absurd for me. So the nice thing is this has really uber long battery life. So this is literally a throw in my bag and go kind of device that I was really looking for. 
and that really sold me on it. That's the biggest thing. And then I got a new terabyte SSD coming in for my Steam slash workstation machine so I can put more SSD-based games on the Gamer OS end of that particular machine. Never enough storage there, huh? Those games eat storage like crazy. Yeah, they do. I have to delete some now. Thanks, man. I was looking at the battery life on this. So they say up to 17 hours of battery life when it's docked with a keyboard and nine hours in just tablet mode. I'm not expecting that. Especially since it's used. Oh, yeah, sure. But a review says they got impressively close 14 hours and 37 minutes in laptop mode and seven hours and 29 minutes when undocked. Like this is what this guy got, I guess. But even if you got that, that's the cat's pajamas right there. That's impressive. Those are all Windows-based tests. This is not going to be a Windows machine. <laughs> no, but I think Linux is pretty good there. Yeah, no, no, no. But what I'm saying is, is like I take those with a grain of salt until I actually install Linux and use it. I don't take any of the battery claims or whatnot, be it reviews or manufacturer with any heart because I'm running a totally different OS. A better OS. So, I mean, it'll just be better. <laughs> True, but it's still a totally different OS than the one they use. I mean, you know, for now until that operating system dies, but you know, whatever. <laughs> You're really trying to get me to say something. Hey, I've missed you. It's been like three weeks, so I got to poke where I can. He's trying to make sure there's more Naughty Matt tags in this episode. Apparently. <laughs> except for the Naughty Matt tags will actually be naughty words. Oh, Matt. <laughs> so while I was looking at new hardware... Wendy, there's other stuff in life you've been looking at from the sounds of it. Yes, yes, there is. My main vehicle for the last six years, goodness sakes, almost seven, has been a Ford excursion. And I absolutely love this vehicle. It fits all six of us beautifully. I can haul our major grocery shopping loads in there, no problem. Heck, when I got the MDF for the top of my desk, it was, what, four feet by eight, I think. I'll have to look up, but it's a really large piece. It fit perfectly with all of the other seats folded down in the back of my excursion and hauled it home without having to bring the pickup to town. But gas prices for me, as many of you, is absolutely killing me and I needed something that's getting better gas mileage because my excursion has the V10 in it and I'm spending a lot of time in town. I average 10 miles per gallon. Oof. Yeah, it's painful. So I needed something that would do better, especially where we're still back and forth quite a bit during the school year. Well, I figured I averaged 100 miles a week with just school-related stuff. And we'd been looking, we'd looked at some stuff, but hadn't really found anything we liked. And up popped this Chevy Trailblazer. It's an 06. It's the extended one, so it'll still fit all six of us, which is awesome. We can't use it for when we go visit my in-laws or that kind of thing, just because with six people, there's not enough room for all of our crap that we take with us when we go stay the night somewhere. But it would be, hey, we're going to go visit friends. We're going to go do something else as a family. And it'll still fit all of us. They said they've been getting around 17 to 20 miles per gallon. Yay. So it'll hopefully cut my fuel expenses in half because my husband knows them. They're actually giving us a pretty good deal on that. As we're recording today, I will go pick it up. I can't wait. I thought you were going to tell me you're going to getting yourself a Cybertruck or something like that, you know. 
<laughs> no, nothing too fancy. And this is an 06 model. So there isn't as much computerized stuff on it. I know I've mentioned here quite a few times. I love my tech, but I hate tech in vehicles. And one of the reasons why I hate tech in vehicles is because I do not want to go and have a specialty shop fix something. I still want a vehicle, at least for now, that my husband can work on, that you don't need special equipment to figure out what's wrong with it. And this is one of those cases where on the tail end of being able to fix it without absolutely having to take it to a shop. And it's not that I don't like car mechanics. It's that as much as we can do without having to take it somewhere else, it makes a huge difference on the repair bills. My husband's transmission went out in his service pickup. The transmission itself was right around $2,200 and he replaced the transmission himself. If we'd had to take that somewhere else based on Idaho prices, we would have been looking at $4,000 instead of just over $2,000. Anything that we can do to cut costs, I'm all for. So having a vehicle that my husband can work on is extremely important to me. For sure, yeah. Even like the basic things, if you can do them, that saves you a lot of money, a lot of headache for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I do find, because I've been kind of finding the whole computer in car thing for, well, since I started driving. And I find that as a vehicle ages in time, the hacks on them, the people finding workarounds or replacements or so forth for the car computers becomes more available. Yeah. Like my vehicle, it's a 2001. And when it came out, there weren't a whole lot of like modifications or things you could do to it. But now there's a chip for everything, apparently. And you can, quote, chip it to get more performance or economy or whatever out of it. I don't want to get more performance out of it because the last thing I want to do is have the thing blow up or a rapid unscheduled disassembly, I suppose. Right. <laughs> but more economy, absolutely. Right. But sometimes you do need that power when you're towing or whatever. Because you might pull like a 10, 12,000 pound trailer. Yeah. It becomes an issue if you don't have the power to do that because that becomes a safety issue, really. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, the documentation around the vehicles, I guess, is the big thing that improves over time, I feel like with the different manuals and people doing stuff on YouTube and whatnot. But yeah, it does feel like 10 years old or so. That's when the stuff becomes more available to be hacked on, I suppose, because things fall out of warranty and whatnot. I think it's great though. If you can something a lot more efficient, it'll cut your costs down. I, mean, I don't know what the break-even point is. Well, I guess right now with the fuel prices, the break-even point is probably a lot sooner. Yeah, right now we're to the point that just about anything as far as fuel savings will be better. Staffing to fuel up once mm -hmm. a week was absolutely driving me crazy. And it's a 40-gallon tank. So if you let it get below right. half, you cry as you fill it up. Right. You're kind of weeping at the wheel. Yes. <laughs> I did talk to you a little bit about the technology and it's something I haven't really implemented yet. I just have the stuff and I'm reading about it, but there's fuel cell technology where a buddy of mine, he took and converted his, it's like a Chevy Blazer or something in the nineties vehicle. You put water in this tank and it would take and create HHO out of it. And so it supplement the fuel with some of this HHO gas. And he said he would get anywhere between 40 and 80 miles per gallon on that vehicle as he would drive, but it would only be really efficient to use on the highway because he had to manually adjust it, mm. which sounds fiddly and dangerous. But if you could do that in more automatic, all these microcontrollers that exist today, I'm sure somebody's already figured out those equations. A Ford Excursion getting 80 miles per gallon would, would be pretty sweet. I'd absolutely love it. I'd never get rid of that thing until it absolutely died. I love that vehicle so much. And drove it right into the ground. Yep. <laughs> and then resurrected it. 
Well, it's that time. You are officially moving. How is that going? Yep, I'm officially moving. So there's a lot of waiting for financial institutions to do whatever financial institutions have to do. I'm moving out of my house and I've been packing things up. And here's the Linux tie-in. So I've been using LibreOffice a lot uh, with my new HP LaserJet printer. So instead of writing the contents of a box on the outside saying just what room it's from, I've been actually creating like a packing list of what is in the box. I'm tiling all the 2021 domicile relocation as opposed to moving boxes because I got to call something different. So what room it's coming from, well, what is in there? So if it's like shoes or whatever, and if it came from the bedroom or if it's kitchen items and what's in there. So I create like a packing list using LibreWriter. And then I print it off and I tape it to the top of every box. So now I know when the movers go and dump everything into the new place, I know exactly where to put everything and it's all nicely and neatly organized. I know like what I need to pull out immediately versus what I can kind of trail in over time. Linux is helping me move right now and using my tech to create the packing list is going to make the unpacking in the new place, which will be about a couple weeks from now. So I think I have another week, maybe two weeks recording from here before the move is finalized. So it's been fun. By fun, I mean, it's actually been kind of terrible, but I'm trying to enjoy the moments because I never plan on moving again. So I want to make the most of it. How can I make this process fun for everybody, even though it's absolutely not fun? Enjoy the pain because uh, this is what I'll talk about probably. Hey, remember when we did this? That was terrible. It's a conversation piece <laughs> for the future. It's kind of how I look at it. You're probably the most organized mover I've ever heard of. To be fair, last time we moved, I was 32 weeks pregnant. So there was no organization in general. It was just, oh my gosh, can we be done with this? I congratulate you on your organization and that'll make unpacking so much easier. A lot of things are already boxed anyway, because I kind of boxed everything up. So some things are just, I don't have to do. It's like the household items, like the kids stuff, my stuff, and just making sure that's properly segregated. I mean, I don't actually have that many clothes. I'd rather buy old technology than clothes, I guess. My clothes are becoming vintage in and of themselves. Secondhand stores are the only way to go for clothes. Pretty much. This episode of Deal and Extend is brought to you by DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean recently announced their new managed MongoDB service, which is a fully managed database as a service. With MongoDB, you can focus more on building scalable, high-performance apps and less on maintaining the database. Simply offload your MongoDB administration to DigitalOcean and let them handle the provisioning, managing, scaling, updates, backups, and security for your clusters. DigitalOcean built this service in partnership with MongoDB Inc. And together, they have ensured that you will get access to all the latest releases of MongoDB document database as they become available. As a listener of DLN Extend podcast and a member of the DLN community, you can get started for free. Actually, better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 credit when you go to do.co slash DLN Mongo. Again, go to do.co slash DLN M-O-N-G-O and get started with your $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's new Manage MongoDB. We want to thank DigitalOcean for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend. As I end my life in my super cubicle in my current domicile, there's now talk of is the end of Linux nigh? Definitely a matte subject. Linux desktop market share in May 2021, according to stat counters, said that Linux is at 2.38%, while Chrome OS is at 2.27% and quickly growing. So does that mean desktop Linux going to be going the way of the dodo bird? Is it going to become less, just kind of relegated to just a bunch of crazy people on the internet that like open source software? 
So the short answer is no, because even if you look a couple of years ago, Linux was always under 1% if you're going by like generic internet stat counters and that kind of stuff, net stats and all that stuff. For me, the fact that it's almost at 2.5%, it shows growth. That's just like organic growth. That's pulling out Chrome OS. Say what you want about Chrome OS. It's a interesting take on Gen 2. At its core, it's Linux. If you actually take into account the fact that it's Gen 2, it can technically run Linux apps, you throw that in, Linux is sitting at almost 6% market share. And that's just if you're looking at strictly market share. I would actually expect Chrome OS to be a little bit higher with as much as they've infiltrated the different schools and such. So it's interesting for me to see it a little bit lower than what I'd expect it to be. But I'm also on the side of technically it's Linux, just like Android is technically kind of sort of Linux, but I don't consider it actual Linux. (laughs) Difference with Android is Google maintains its own Linux kernel kind of stuff. They work more closely with upstream Linux. I'll put it that way. Good point. As opposed to their own custom nonsense that they generically do with Android. Well, I guess Chrome OS does have a lot in common with Gen 2 in that they're both painful to use. That's one thing. Chrome OS is growing pretty rapidly and and with good reason. Besides that, it's painful. It's easy to consume because it's so limited, I guess. It's easy to just use. They've basically made these almost throwaway laptops to use in school. So if kids damage them or whatever, kids treat them the way kids treat them, that they're more easily to recycle and replace and you're not so worried about hardware itself or making sure that stuff is saved on it. Chrome OS really centers around all of your data going to the cloud or as Noah puts it, somebody else's computer. Mm -hmm. So for that purpose, they work really good in schools. Yeah. So the way I look at it, this isn't going to be a Chrome OS show, but it depends on your version of Linux and all the other stuff. Destination Chrome OS, coming at you. Definitely not. (laughs) (laughs) The short version is Chrome OS to me is you've worked in the business environment and you know what Windows thin client machines are. This is that just in the consumer space. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter to the machine. You're still running off somebody else's computer, basically, like all your information and all that stuff. All thin clients are is a base system with a portal to go to a server, basically. It's like the 80s is back. Yes, except for for you, the 80s never ended. Uh, Actually, it just turned 1991 in my world, but okay. So you're up to what the super nintendo now yeah anything better (laughs) (laughs) yes more how linux is not dying or the end is nigh or whatever inflammatory speak that other people want to use for it if you're looking strictly at the beginning of 2020 report that michael larabelle from ferox put out there was 1,696,620 lines of code removed you know, I wonder what were in those lines of code. Anything I care about. Code cleanup and all that kind of yeah. stuff. This is for the claim that the pace at which the kernel is developed is unsustainable. You had 3,386,347 lines of code added. But when you take out the actual lines of code removed and the lines of code added and you get the actual difference between the two, it's 1,689,727 actual lines of code that were added to the kernel. And that's between 4,189 code contributors. So if you're looking at the thousand mile view, that's 403 lines of code per author to either maintain or to build on or subtract. But yet somehow that's unmaintainable. So is that including the companies that are putting in or maintaining lines of code like Intel or whatnot? That is the full scope of every code contribution from a person regardless of where they came from. The Linux kernel, as of beginning of 2020 and end of 2019, had 4,189 code contributions from various places. 
if that's not a pace that's maintainable, then maybe we need to look at more community stuff as far as like bringing in more people, if that's really the case. If a lot of these are companies, which a lot of people are complaining about too much corporate influence in the Linux space and all this other stuff, if a company can't maintain 403 lines of code, you might want to go look at maybe what your engineers are doing. And devil's advocate to that complaint is we want to use all different kinds of hardware and we want it to quote unquote, just work on Linux. This is how you get that is having a good relationship with these companies and having that code going into the kernel. The best part about it is it is going into an open source kernel. So you can see if you're learned enough to be able to read it, what's happening with that code. Yeah, even if you're not quote unquote learned it enough as you like to put it, Wendy, it's one of those things where just read the mailing list. Yeah. All their communications public for good and bad. Don't get me wrong there. There has been drama. Mm, yes, mm. so. Anytime a Linus speaks, there you go. Well, he's more reserved these days. In fairness, he's learning to try to become a better people person. Which is making Linux less exciting, but that's, that's a personal <laughs> opinion. Hey, oh no, what do you say now? But if these indicators are that the end is nigh, then I think someone's analytical ability are really in question because these are just straight numbers. These aren't any thousand mile predictions kind of deal. This is literally just, these are the numbers. And the reality is there have been more companies coming in. There's a lot of these projects that would not have been funded at one point are being funded now. And I'm not strictly talking just like the kernel. I'm talking about the ecosystem as a whole. You have companies that are sponsoring open source applications like Blender so they can actually have full-time developers. Because that's what other companies are using. You have things like Krita being able to have full-time developers just simply because they're on the Windows Store. Say what you want about it. But that stuff matters. It matters to people that use it. That is one of my daughter's favorite applications on her computer. And I am extremely thankful for the fact that development is continuing and she can grow her skills using that piece of software. That's the thing. Like People who make these claims that the end is nigh, they talk in broad strokes about everything around it, but they focus on one particular aspect of it. You know, Then we have people talking about like the community's dying. I would highly, highly state otherwise. I don't know about what you think, Nate Wendy, as far as that particular take on everything in Linux is dying kind of deal. I honestly feel that Linux is not only prospering, but growing. And when it comes to this community aspect, I know that 2020 was a hard year for social events in the community, but goodness sakes, it was a hard year for social events in general. And I don't think that it hurt the Linux community as much as maybe some people think it did. Yeah, we want to be able to get together. It's great. I get to talk to you two every week. We're in different parts of the country and it's so cool that we get to do it. But it, there's nothing like those individual face-to-face -face conversations. We'll get back to those. It's not like they're gone forever. I've seen great growth in the community, lots of helping one another. The community's here to stay. Obviously, I'm into retro technology, but a lot of these things in retro tech is really heavily embedded in Linux. So I see more growth in the retro tech, like the different little bits and bobs that are added to retro tech that are running on Linux or something like that. The Pi Storm is essentially a CPU replacement that uses a Raspberry Pi for an Amiga 500, which I think is amazing. That aside, I do want to say there is some good news about 2020 and 2021 when it comes to Linux kernel. The floppy disk code is still being updated and improved so you can still use floppy disks on Linux. And to me, that's important. In 2020, of those lines added, 586 lines, which 586, that's funny, of new code were added 
around the floppy disk and 613 deletions were also made on that code. So actually it's a net drop in lines of code to have improvements. That's just something to think about there. And so far in 2021, there have been more new patches being made to the floppy code. So some of these deletions are actually improvements as well, basically my cursory searching. And so I don't think it's dead if technology is still being supported and embraced in Linux that's 20, 30 years old. Which is funny because other OSs, the commercial ones, have dropped that support a long, long time ago. As the mediums change, they drop support. And it's not like a soft, we just don't support it. It's literally like, here's the line, here's the cut off, here's the fall down the cliff and we don't care kind of deal. You know, Wiley Coyote kind of stuff going on <laughs> and how they drop off on tech. The fact that we're still supporting floppy disks when at a time, not going to lie, there's not a lot of use around them, but they still have their use. So the fact that it's still there going on 30 years, that's pretty impressive for an OS. People want to complain about Linux kernels, 15 million lines, 17 million lines. I don't remember the exact number anymore off the top of my head for the lines of actual Linux code that's in the kernel. The first thing you'll hear is like, well, 10% of that's system D. Okay, that's nice. Still part of the system. There are a lot of system D haters out there. Actually, I don't think there's as many as we think there are, just because it's one of those cases where some of the people that don't like it yell the most about it. All I'm going to say is go use a NITV or whatever alternative system you want in that regard. There's distros that make them. Right. There's still options out there. There's options depending on what kind of hardware you want to use, whether that's yeah. new or old. There's options as to whether you use systemd or not. That is the glorious part about Linux in itself. And one of the reasons why it is here to stay is because it gives options to the individual business that needs to customize something for their use case. The person who wants their desktop set up in a certain way, they're wanting the privacy and security. And I know that that was talked about a lot on Destination Linux when they brought up this topic was a lot of how important security is and how the general public is becoming more open and more understanding of just how they need to be focusing on privacy and security. Those are things that we can use as Linux enthusiasts to help say, okay, well, this is a concern for you. So this is an option that you can take to help with those things. Mm -hmm. I agree. One of the other complaints, though, is, oh, Google's going to go away and go do its own thing with like Fuchsia and all this other stuff. Fuchsia's been, what, 2017, I think, is when I first heard about Fuchsia. Yeah, it's been rumored it's going to take over Android for quite a while. Mm -hmm. It literally runs on one device, and it's not even a new device. It's the old Nest Hub. That's the device it runs on. That does it. The end is nigh. That's, not, that's the end. I really don't think that Android phones really fuel Linux in general, especially Linux on the desktop. They are two completely different platforms. If Google decides, and they finally do, make Fuchsia the main OS on all of their devices, that doesn't change desktop Linux. They're two completely different platforms. Though I was loving the conversation that the folks on Destination Linux were talking about how in a year, year and a half, you have seen the Pine Phone grow tremendously. And so there is room for Linux to branch out there and do amazing things. Yeah, this is true. Definitely. Nate, you have the Pine Phone too. 
as someone who has one, just seeing the growth in how Ubuntu Touch, Ubi Ports, whatever you want to call it, runs on the Pine phone now compared to when I first tried installing it, it's a night and day difference. The experience is night and day. Oh, for sure. Yeah. That improvement has been amazing to see. As far as what has Android contributed, you can look at that in a few different ways. Android has helped the ARM support for Linux. I will say that battery life and all that kind of stuff. I'm not going to say it hasn't done anything for Linux. I think that is being disingenuous. But its overall effect, if, say, Google went to Fuchsia or whatever, I don't think would change a whole lot. Because the way Android works is it maintains basically its own kernel anyway. It's not, but it is. It's a really nuanced and annoying conversation that I don't want to get into as far as that whole thing. Right. And if you want more on that specific conversation, they covered it in depth on Destination Linux. But the way I look at this is it's really no different than what Samsung did with their smartwatches when they tried running Tizen on it instead of Android Wear or whatever. Here they are. They're running back to Android Wear now or Wear OS or whatever Google is calling it. I'm not holding much in the way of just because a company tries something that is going to succeed. And Ryan brought up, look at Google's track record when it comes to projects. They open and close stores more frequently than a downtown city going through reconstruction after a hurricane kind of deal. It's obnoxious when it comes to Google's product portfolio as far as what they keep and what they make go away. Fuchsia itself went through open and closes on its own already. I mean, it's not like they're really putting a whole lot behind it. And it's not like Android's going to suck less if they use Fuchsia instead of uh, Linux at its base. So it's at the core that's the problem. It's the garbage on top with that mobile platform. You know, and if they can do it, I guess good for them. It'll uh, make Linux more lean. Don't see it as a problem. I see it as perhaps a good bit of competition. If anything, competition's good for the ecosystem as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. You're not going to get any disagreement. No. The only thing that actually truly does concern me is if the commercial interests overtake the interests of the individual. Right. If it comes to a point where it is so commercialized that it kind of forces out the hobbying aspect of it, that's a concern. I really don't see that happening. So much of it is driven by community more so than corporations. That would be a sign of maybe a death or whatever, or it's changing to form something less appealing. Linux would definitely become something completely different if it was more corporate-based instead of individual-based. And that is a difference that you see between Windows and Mac OS. Linux started with community. Well, of course, it started with Linus and him creating the first kernel, but it was built around that with community, and you can't keep Linux without the community. They are joint together. If you have now corporate overlords for it, it's no longer Linux. You're looking at something different. And the thing is, I think the very nature of the way Linux is built is almost a check and balance to that corporate influence. It can be there. To say it's not would be also kind of ignorant that companies don't have direction they want to see a platform go. The old adage of getting pulled in a thousand directions, that's literally what happens with a kernel every time there's a commit to it. The kernel's getting pulled in a thousand different directions. I don't think companies are going to be able to overtake the core nature of the system based on the scrappy underdog mentality that has always been associated with like Linux. And if you're looking at the user space or people who have been hacking on it to use the wrong term, but to downplay the effect, the community around it and the very nature of it has is not doing service to the community as a whole, I don't think. I think the GPL protects the kernel in many ways, the GPL version 2. 
what is there now will always be open. So if something ever goes into the crazy, into the realm of the crazy, you still have that core that's not crazy, essentially. There are some protections that are built in. It's the nature of the community and the nature of the development model. There's just too many other interests for, I think, it to ever be over-commercialized. It'll be commercialized, don't get me wrong. We see that now. For it to be the primary development factor and that kind of stuff, I just don't see that because there's too many people that, hey, I have this retro pie that I want to make run emulated games on, so I'm going to install Linux because that's where a bunch of the emulators and stuff work, and I can have a pared down OS like Laka or something on it. Like, There's just too many niche things for companies to pull it in the, the entire direction. At its core, it's still going to be the same. I think it's really disingenuous that some people will sit here and say, oh, the end is nigh. All the evidence kind of points to the contrary. <laughs> right. Yeah. When we're looking at this, some of this corporate stuff, talking about it, it reminds me of IBM buying out Red Hat. And one of the concerns when that happened was, oh, no, what happens if the culture at Red Hat changes because they were bought out by IBM? That was a concern then. I've been doing my best to kind of follow along with that. And I haven't heard any complaints either from employees or other community members that that has been an issue with that buyout. You'll be hearing a lot of fuss about maybe some of the business decision Red Hat has made, you know, with its handling of potentially the CentOS stuff. And you can question those. There are solid things to go, huh, he could have done that better. And yeah, some of those are probably portfolio examinations that happened after a merger. Here's the reality. Any business that merges with another business, one of those businesses generically disappears. Yeah. And it becomes a conglomerate of the other. Doesn't matter in tech. Doesn't matter in retail. Doesn't matter if two separate businesses become partners and they merge into a different company. Certain things are lost. You can't get around that. Certain decisions sometimes are made that are bad. Here's the difference. I don't know about you guys. I've actually talked to Red Hat people specifically about that. And they have said, nope, we're pretty much left alone. So if you're going to make claims like certain people seem to do, oh, IBM bought Red Hat, so everything's going to change. Actually ask the people, novel idea, go to the source. Yeah, the people that were working there before and now after. And it might be that the Red Hat culture is actually infecting the IBM culture more so than the other way around. That's the impression I'm getting. I think that was the hope of some people yeah. looking on the outside is that the Red Hat culture would feed into IBM and not the other way around. And it kind of seems like that's what's happening. When IBM bought it, they knew that they were getting a good thing. It's not like Red Hat was one of those things that was failing at the time, so it was bought to revamp it. They bought it knowing this is an awesome place to step, and the people that are working on it now are doing a great job. And so they've just said, okay, we own Red Hat, but you guys are doing great. Keep going. The asset of Red Hat is the people. And if you lose the people, you right. bought nothing. Yeah. The $34 billion was essentially to purchase a culture, which for a long time, IBM yes. hasn't had. <laughs> IBM has been very known in the business world as the button-up suits with the no-nonsense, very business analytical, you're a number on a spreadsheet kind of deal. That's always been the perceived look on IBM, which it's not wrong. <laughs> From what we've heard, it's kind of changing. I'm cautious when it comes to companies, obviously, but you have to look at the overall track record. Make a judgment based on current, past, and understand where you give a break, where you don't. I give Red Hat a break on the CentOS thing because they've done a lot of stuff and a lot of good in the community. Do they always get a pass for everything they do? No, they shouldn't. 
So to say corporate interests are taking over the Linux space, you have to look at the corporation that you're claiming is doing it. Case by case basis. Yeah. Yes. So like when people say like, oh, Microsoft's taking over the Linux kernel development stuff and you look at it and you actually analyze what they've added and subtracted and all the other stuff, it makes sense what they've done. A lot of the stuff is for Azure. It makes sense. I'm not going to rail against Microsoft for being a Linux code (laughs) contributor when their business needs, obviously, are very blatant and upfront and in your face. It's just the ones I would be more cautious of are the ones that are like a Google. Cool that they contribute a lot to the uh, summer of code and all that kind of stuff. Your business model and the way you have looked at users is questionable as far as that stuff. And your product history and what you've done with those products is concerning. And that's more of a cautious eye kind of deal. Uh, I'm a little more cautious when it comes to what you contribute, but uh, I'll thanks, but I'll keep an yeah. eye on you kind of deal. Trust but verify. Again, a company like Microsoft is very in your face about what they contribute, <laughs> especially if you just look at it. Whereas Google is a little more sly and it's like, oh, community. That's what they do. I don't think the end is now. I don't think corporate interests are overtaking it. They're there. I've been only involved with Linux for about 19 years, so not all of the history, obviously. But if you look at the history, there's always been that doom that was on the horizon by one thing or another. It's always been there. The current doom and gloom on the horizon is, I don't know, pick one thing that we talked about, overbearing corporate interests. The doom and gloom 10 years ago was no hardware support for these new things or whatever. In 2006, commercial applications were dropping off support for Linux, like, oh no, Linux is dying. So there's always some kind of doom and gloom on the horizon. And it's like, we can look at the storm, we're going to see the silver clouds around it. There's always a silver lining somewhere. It's a cycle, technology's changing, and Linux is adapting to change as times change themselves. So there'll always be something, but I'm pretty sure Linux is here to stay. I think Linux is here to stay because of the very nature of its development. And I think it's going to stick around because I'm going to keep using it. So there we go. Boom. You'll be like that one Amiga. I'll be that holdout. Yeah, there's three of us. There's three of us. As he's in his (laughs) 80s. Your tumbleweed hasn't rolled in 30 (laughs) years. I don't care. It's still rolling. This episode of DLN Extend is brought to you by Bitwarden. Bitwarden is the password manager we use and trust. It's the easiest, safest way for individuals, teams, businesses, and organizations to store their passwords and other vital sensitive information. Bitwarden lets you choose the authentication to access your password manager, such as PIN, master password, and adding phrases or fingerprint security, all to keep your passwords safe. Go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. Bitwarden is a password manager that I use and trust because Bitwarden is 100% open source. It has extensive security audits. It gives you the ability to self-host if you so choose. So go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. It's only $10 for a premium account, which gives you one gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login with YubiKey, U2F, Duo, Vault Health Reports, and more. Make the smart move like many from the community have and go to bitwarden.com DLN to get started for free. If you're like me, you'll want to show your appreciation by signing up for the Premium Edition, especially since the Premium Edition starts at only $10 annually. Bitwarden has saved me from getting into a serious jam numerous times. Now, you wouldn't be able to pry it from my cold, dead device. Thanks to Bitwarden for sponsoring this episode of DLN Extend.
Well, since we've determined that Linux is not on its deathbed or on the death spiral, Matt, what games are you going to be uh, playing in Linux? Actually, the one that I'm playing right now is Batman Arkham Origin. You're playing it right now while yes, we're trying to do a show? totally. Come on, Matt. Well, Nate, hearing you talk about <laughs> stuff from the late 80s kind of bores me after a while. What do you want me to say? Well, then you're easily bored then, I guess. This is a prequel to the Batman Arkham games. So this takes place about the first three years uh, as uh, Bruce Wayne becomes Batman. That's the story structure anyway. It's a third-person action-heavy combat game. Kind of open-world-ish, kind of not. It's just one of those games that it's fun to play. Who doesn't want to go around running around screaming, I'm Batman? I mean, just go watch any of the movies <laughs> that have been out since Michael Keaton in 1989's Batman. I'm Batman. So that's always been the joke. I just have a fun time playing it. And the fact they have Kevin Conroy as Batman slash Bruce Wayne, if you're a fan of the early 90s Batman animated TV show, makes you want to play it even more. You had me at early 90s. Technically for you, it's brand new. <laughs> yeah, it's like new and developing and emerging. First season of the animated series was already out that's what i've been playing for the most part does have a few issues here and there that i've had sometimes the audio will desync but there's um, a fix on proton db about how to get that straightened out it's nothing it's just a simple command option that you have to add and it fixes it so but as far as actual performance of the game all that stuff everything works i've had no problems other than that slight desyncing of audio it generically usually happens only after a video pre-cutscene kind of deal that's really the only issue i've had with it. i paid full price for this game this game goes for 20 dollars. that's not bad it's an older game but the system requirements are fairly light i would recommend uh, the recommended and don't try to go with the minimum because there's a vast difference between the two i believe the minimum requirement is an 880 gts so for those that don't understand how old that is that's 512 megs of video ram the recommended is a gtx 560 so and you need about 20 gigs of uh, storage it's not as big as say detroit or any of those games but has a decent bit of system requirements if you're not on the newest hardware speaking of the fact that this is an older game came out in 2013 are the play graphics do they look as good as the screenshots that i'm seeing generically yes really yep disregard the video of the trailer but like the actual like graphics like the one where uh, Batman is fighting in the snow but throwing somebody off I'm assuming a ledge which yeah. goes against Batman but hey yeah that particular scene is actually in game oh wow I'm really impressed with the graphics overall on this especially for the year that it came out whether or not you enjoy the season pass that's up to you if you're gonna get the season pass for like the DLC the only DLC I found worth getting is Cold Cold Heart, only because it tells us about the story of Mr. Freeze. And it's actually a really good single player based DLC, which is very rare for me to actually find ones that I like. Well, this is certainly not my style of game I enjoy playing. It looks like the story is interesting. Nate, 3D anything is not your style of game. That is not true. I still play Doom. Not <laughs> Um, there's 92. I can't remember now. Have you upgraded to at least Ultimate Doom? I don't think so. It has a very neat story element to it. As new as it might be, this is something I actually, I would purchase just because I do like, it's not gratuitous violence. It's, it looks like it's more fun violence. If I can say that fun violence, that, that makes me sound like a little a psychopath, but anyway, it has a fun element to it. Despite the serious nature overtones, it is in the style of like the Batman begins Batman. I could be wrong as far as the visual style. Goes. I'll let you determine it by buying it. So speaking of things that need to be bought and whatnot, Wendy, what's uh, currently on your interest radar? I actually got a puzzle game pack here recently that was on sale. And one of the games that was in it 
And the only one I've played so far is called Old Man's Journey. This is super casual. And I mean, point and click, sit down, relax kind of game. The graphics in it are absolutely beautiful. If you liked the graphics in Candle, in some ways this relates. It's very artsy styled kind of graphics. And you manipulate the world around you in order to get your character through his journey. I'm not very far into the game, but overall, I'm liking it quite a bit. My husband, because he got recently got a new game too, was like, so you played it. What do you think about it? I'm like, well, for you, you'd think it was weird because this is very much not his style of game. Looking at the trailer, it's an interesting concept. You manipulate the world around the character to get the character through, as opposed to interacting with your surroundings or whatever. The visuals of this game, they just look so much fun to play. I'm probably a little more into this than I would be the Batman, I would say. Yeah, my style of gameplay when it comes to newer games and your style of gameplay seem to be pretty similar for this kind of game. Yeah, it just looks so cool. And it works fine in Linux, no issues. Yeah, it's been running beautifully in Linux. And you were talking about how you manipulate the world around you. So on the level I'm at right now, you're actually lifting the mountains or the hills and stuff up and down so he can cross over from one hill to the next. So it's kind of interesting in that way. Instead of trying to pick the right path, you're looking to see, okay, what's the right height that this needs to be in order to get my character back and forth across to where he needs to go next. So I'm amused by the specs of this game. So it was released in 2017 and the minimum OS is Windows XP Service Pack 2. So that made me laugh. The processor is SSE2, which I don't even know what that means. Matt, do you know what that means? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an instruction set supported for what processors it'll support. A gig of RAM. DX9 graphics. Yeah, this, but this just looks like fun. Relaxing time. A puzzle game. Yes. That sun-drenched countryside or the hillside as it's referred to. Everything about it is neat. This is a great suggestion. Beautiful style graphics, very stylized. And then have something that doesn't need to take three hours to download. Or in the case of the new plane game, flying battle fighting game my husband got. That one, I can't remember the size of it. But I know we started the download in the morning and then that evening it was done. Yes, it does help that I have extremely slow internet. So it does take forever for stuff like that to download. But this one, I decided I want to play it. Click install. Oh, it's done. And I'm off to playing a game. Matt and I have got new games to play. And it sounds like enjoying all of your hoarding as you're packing. I am a bit of a technology hoarder. It's not quite unhealthy. Okay, maybe it's unhealthy, actually. I was looking around. It's probably unhealthy, but I'm not willing to change. I'm not willing to change. So it's I'm fine with it. Is it like your obsession (laughs) with OpenSUSE? Totally unhealthy. No, because that's totally healthy, if not a bit peculiar. This might be, I don't think unhealthy is the word, but maybe painful. You know, it's like running on an injured ankle, I would say. So just not good for you. Yeah, I'm packing up my super cubicle, as I've been calling it. So I will not use that term super cubicle ever again once I'm out of here because I have a new name for the new place. There's little bits of project, I guess you could say, that are just sitting out that I just haven't put away Mm. over time. And going through that, is this in the throwaway pile or is this in the I'll get to it next year pile? My throwaway pile has exactly nothing (laughs) in it. And my get to next year pile has everything in it. So there's some things to sort out yet, but I've not packed up my Commodore 64 yet or the Amigas yet, but I'm just packing up everything else kind of around it to include like the, uh, like I have a Toshiba Tough book. It's just too old now. Those things are being packed up. The other computers are being packed up. Anything that's just kind of sitting loose on the shelf is what has to be packed up yet. And then on my standing desk has to be packed, but I'm getting there. You know, I'm packing the rest of the house first, most of the kids stuff and, and so forth. 
my bedroom is basically packed up. The, actually, the other part that's painful right now will be the Legos because I have a, a 4x8 MDF, probably the same thing that you used for your desktop table that has all like my Lego lunar colony thing, which is another obsession I don't talk about, which is probably an unhealthy obsession because it's an expensive one that I don't want to pack up yet because everything's going to kind of break and fall apart. And so I'm just not ready to do that yet. I need to buy some bins for it because I don't want to put them in cardboard because then if it breaks in the cardboard and gets anything one of those flaps, then who knows what happened to the bits oh, and yeah. pieces of Lego. I have too much stuff, I think. The new place is a lot bigger, so I can let my stuff spread out, breed, and become more. <laughs> I don't know anybody who, when they're packing, there might be a few people who are very good at minimalism, but I haven't talked to anybody else when they are packing up a house for a move that's not like, oh my gosh, I have way too much crap. I can't believe this much stuff is communicated over the X amount of years that I've lived here. What am I going to do with it all? Or I really don't want to move it. I think it's the books. That's actually probably the worst part. I like books. And so the other thing that I hoard besides technology are books. I don't like to get rid yes. of books. I grew up with lots and lots of books in the house. And um, I remember our, we had a family room that just had just tons of books on a shelf. And I would like to have a library like that again, which I will have that at the new place. Sweet. And um, someday I want to have one of those robes and a pipe and I can like run the pipe across vines of the books as I, <laughs> as I walk down a bookshelf. That's my dream. You know, when I'm having my own old man's journey. Yeah, that's what's going on. So not a whole lot of technology stuff for me. Mostly that. We'd like to continue this discussion with you on Telegram and Discourse, Mumble or Discord. Visit the DLN website for information on how to connect to the social channels and all of our shows and creators at destinationlinux.network. For more information on me, you can go to cubiclenate.com. Links to my regular written blatherings, podcast, and YouTube channel can be found there. And you can find my random ramblings on Twitter and tell me what games to recommend <laughs> at MattDLN. You can find me on Macedon at WendyDLN at Macedon.online. Be sure to check out the DLN merch store. Grab yourself some awesome DLN Extend swag along with stuff from across the network. As always, we thank you for joining us. We'll be back next week with another fantastic episode of DLN Extend. Until then, have a great week, everyone. I have to stop saying silly things. I don't think it's Alrighty. possible. Uh, let's see the transition now. That's just part of you, Nate. It's not. It's I think I have, um, I think there's like, like a, a loose wire that like arcs <laughs> against my cranium from time to time. Like when I tilt my head the wrong way and uh, it just, it causes me to say uh, nonsense. So are you like the bat in Friend Gully or um, what's his face from Down Periscope? The guy from Down yes. Periscope. Yeah. <laughs> Down Periscope's definitely, I haven't seen that movie in a while, but I do remember the crazy guy. We I own it. I him. love it. I felt like we were brothers. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's just a good movie, especially. Yeah. Anyway, okay, I, I can go off on that. <laughs> I want to. <laughs> we could have more movie quotes. Just more fodder for your end of end of uh, episode. <laughs> yes, nonsense, absolutely. Right? Hey Nate, go update your you know three thousand plus packages. No way, not now. Everything's running fine. I don't want to touch it until after we're done. <laughs> <laughs> three thousand nine hundred thirty-nine packages. Word that politely. <laughs> Naughty Matt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't have a whole lot of faith that you can, but let's. Um, yeah, I'm yeah, betting against yeah, you on yeah. this one. Yeah, thanks. Uh, Back at you. <laughs> <laughs> Hugs and kisses. Oh my gosh, I did abs today. Stop making the, me laugh. The, there's your Naughty Matt. <laughs> <laughs>